Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Hey everyone, welcome to Slay House Presents. I got the name right. It's so much easier. It's so much easier. It's so much easier, except now I wish I didn't have to buy new shoes all the time. <laughs> My feet have been growing since I've started all of this, and I wear so many different hats in this publishing house and this podcast. And I feel I like mean, somebody should... Why? Wait, hold on. Why have your feet been growing? I'm going to get to that. My feet have been growing, and so I've realized that if anybody has to replace my, me, they'll have big shoes to fill. Thank you, everybody. Welcome to Pun Monday. You can't hear my groan because it was all internal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. No, we'll, uh, that's a bad joke, and I, I'm going to tell you I'm going to cut it, and I'm not going to cut it. It's not going to get cut. No, it's not going to Nothing get cut. will ever get cut. Nothing gets cut. Uh, today we are talking. We are. This is. This is. We didn't. We didn't do our vocal warm ups. We didn't do our vocal warm ups. That's why we're sounding. Well, I don't know. We did some weird noises. I mean, we got some strange looks by the people out, out in the, this this free space. <laughs> they're like doing there. a workshop out there. They're doing a here. workshop, and we're so here we're going. Like, Ooh, Ooh. 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 And they're like, oh my god. <laughs> Call the police. <laughs> Call the men with the the, the nets. The the, <laughs> <laughs> the men with the nets. What? The, the paddy wagon or whatever. The, the uh, well, anyway, <laughs> we're insane. Um, this month, Slay House presents a uh, craft of fiction. So we're to, full of craft. We are full of craft. I think we've told that joke oh, already. Damn it. Like our like like back when we did the analepsis. Yeah, like probably, our analepsis yeah. is sore. All of it. Um. Today, we are talking about character and narration. 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 That's, I don't know why I just repeated <laughs> that. Are we, are we in a canyon? Hello, hello, hello. It's so important. We're going to give it to you three times. <laughs> character, 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 character. Um, so we've talked about, what have we talked about already? We've talked about, Ooh, I gotta, I gotta get on my thing here. We talked about themes and literary conventions so far, and we just talked about narrative structure. Yes. And now we are moving on to character and narration and we have some stuff to say about it. I think. Uh, Yes. We, I mean, I hope so. Why are we in this booth if we don't have something to say about it? People might have anybody who's listened to like more than just a few of our episodes. People are probably wondering the same thing. <laughs> why, why are you in the booth are, at all? Why do you guys keep going to that booth? <laughs> <laughs> we've been doing this for a year. And they're like, yeah, that's enough. Yeah, yeah, we've had enough. We've had enough of, of you guys. Uh, yeah. So what do we? Well, let's see this. You can't have a story without character. Yeah, you, you just I, yeah, can't. Yeah, it would be really hard. It's, yeah, it would be really hard to have an interesting story about. Yep. Anything without character. Yep. Yeah. Somebody might be like, oh, but what about that Ray Bradbury story, There Will Come Soft soft Rains or something like that? It's like, there was still character. I mean, human I, characters are all- I don't even know all, what you're talking about. The so. human characters, you've never read Ray Bradbury's There Will Come Soft Rains? No. It's, uh, uh, I think it's part of the Martian Chronicles. Um, and it's the story about Oh, well, a, then maybe I've read it and I've just blocked it out of my brain. So it's the story about a fully automated house that comes to life. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's still doing its, it's automated stuff. still doing stuff, its automated even stuff. Even though there's nobody living There's in nobody it. humans. Right. But the character is, I mean, I feel the like- The character is the house. The character is the house. And, and also the, the character is also like like- Absent, right? Yeah. Like, like the human characters are absent. Yeah. It's all about you know the the the, the weird loneliness of yeah, of, of obsolescence, right? Like the the strange ideas of you know what is it that we leave behind? I hope yeah. you didn't hear my stomach just rumble. We did. <laughs> Sound effects provided to you today by Trevor Williamson's <laughs> by gut. my digestive system. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's still character in it. There's still character in stories like that. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's... Um, oh, absolutely. It's not devoid of character. And character, like, you can't have a fucking story without character in it. You've got to have character. Um, yeah. So what do you mean by character? Like, do you have an actual definition for this term of character? Because I think, I, I mean, most readers, most writers are going to know 
what you mean by like having a character, right? But but when we talk about character, really, what is it that we're talking about? For me, and and to get kind of an all inclusive definition, you can you can disagree with me or whatever. But I feel like character is just the 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 thing in the story that has agency and has a a kind of action. It it, it takes part in the action of the Mm -hmm. story that moves Mm -hmm. the story from A to B to C to the end. It's what moves the story forward. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, the the character doesn't have to be human. I mean, how many times have we, I mean, George Orwell's 1984. Well, I mean, shoot, happy feet. Not, not 1984. Um, George, wait. George Orwell's uh, Animal Farm. Oh, yeah. Animal, Animal Farm. Farm. Yeah. yeah. Happy yeah, Feet. Uh, yeah, the character doesn't have to be human. It can, you know, it's... it's <laughs> I don't know why I went with Happy Feet. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of an odd choice. It's an, it, was a weird, it was just off the top of my head. Like, oh, penguins. <laughs> penguins. Penguins. They're, they're neat little characters. Toy Story. There's no... There's, right, there's, right. I mean, they're all toys. They're not I, humans. I mean, and it, granted, we anthropomorphize these things right, right. we, we yeah. kind of craft Ooh, that's them in, a big word in a <laughs> yeah do you want to tell people anthropomorphize means uh no <laughs> <laughs> please I, I mean it just means taking something that's not human and making them human right yep. and yep. and anthro i think is uh is like humanoid right yeah. uh and then morph is like change into so yep. Anthropomorphize. There was an early X Men mutant. Something named into morph. a human. Uh, yeah, there was. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, morph. Morph. And on the cartoon show, show he he would change into all of his impressions of like people he didn't like. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Morphs. Uh, morphs an interesting, weird. X-Men character for sure. Yeah, definitely. But that's not what we're... But he, and he's we a did, character. We, yeah, we, but yeah, he is yeah. a character. Right, yeah. <laughs> and he's not human either. He's, he's, he's homo superior. Sure. Yeah. It's that's, a, it's a yeah. different species. It is. The, the it X-Men is. are... Mutants are a different species. Yep. Yeah. Um, just like tigers and lions. It all comes together. It all comes together. Uh, <laughs> and when and when you take a tiger and a lion to, and they come together, you get a liger. Or a tie-in. It's like one way it's a t- liger, one way it's a. Yeah. Depends if it's a male tiger and a female yeah, lion something like or that. something. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. They're sterile. They can't reproduce. <laughs> <laughs> Nor can donkeys. Is this what we're going to talk about the entire <laughs> Oh, my God. All right. Um, yeah. Oh, so that's character, folks. That's it. Bye. No, no, <laughs> we actually do have a script for this. Um, we're just trying to avoid it. I guess. We're actively avoiding our script. I avoid the script. Uh, <laughs> we no characters. Uh, characters are an incidental part of the story. You can't have anything without the character, and the character is it, you often. Mean, you mean it, they're an intrinsic part? What did Inci- I say? You said incidental. Oh, I didn't mean to say incidental. Yeah, intrinsic. Yeah. Yeah, they're intrinsic. Just to be clear. Intrinsic. Slayhouse <laughs> <laughs> presents Jeremy doesn't know words. <laughs> what did I say the other day? Avalable? Was, I did that one on purpose. I was like going to say available. I'm like, are you Avalable? Are you Avalable? <laughs> He's like, what? Ah. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Characters are an intrinsic <laughs> part of the <laughs> yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. You can't Very, have a story without characters. You can't have a story without characters. Right. H.P. Lovecraft tries. He, he, <laughs> he hates does, he characters. Does try. He really hates people. He's such a misanthrope. <laughs> yeah. but, but you, yeah, you have to have character. And your characters are going to have conflict. So the next question might be, mm-hmm. what is conflict? Well, and I think this, this uh, is a great question, right? Maybe to come back to our definition of character for just a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, the character is the, the person, the thing, the, the object, whatever, uh, that uh, interacts with the conflict, right? Which which works yeah. its way through the conflict. Here's the thing: your your well developed characters have wants and needs. Think mm-hmm. about your life and like you as a person. Yeah. Not just Trevor, but you out there listening as well no, too. Think, about, think me. about think about Trevor. Yeah. Think about him undressing. Think about my wants and needs. Think about his wants and needs for a change. Yeah. And not your own. Yeah. You assholes. That's right. I have. Trevor does not want to be have, in the sweaty box with me. I have wants and needs. He does. I do. It's you just, know what I want right now? For what Jeremy I want? to get on the point. 
<laughs> Stick to the fucking script. <laughs> That's what I want. <clears throat> I was going to say a taco, but yeah, we, we yeah, could go with it in the script too. Yeah, you know what I need bad. though? What? To stick to the script. All right, let's sure. stick to the script. Yeah. Wants and needs. Characters have, the definable trait I would say of characters is that they have wants and needs. People yeah. have wants and needs. Right. When the wants and the needs of an individual don't mesh, like, right. I want this vinyl record, but my wallet says I need to pay the bills so I can't get the vinyl record. Right, 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 right. Then that's conflict, right? When right. when wants and needs come into, into they, they don't mesh, that's uh-huh. conflict. Right. When the wants and needs of an individual person come into conflict, mm-hmm. that's internal conflict. Right. And a great example of this, I think, is Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea. Sure. His his fight with like exhaustion, yep. right? Like yep. like his want to beat this fucking fish and his need to rest because yes. this fight is so much. Yep. Right? That's the internal conflict. Yep. His need to prove himself. I would argue Laurel Hightower's main character in Crossroads is oh facing internal gosh, conflict. So much internal conflict. I mean, we're never really given a total answer on if what she's seeing is like her son's ghost or a demon. Right, or whatever. Or whatever. It doesn't matter, But though. it doesn't matter because it could just be boiled down to, it could all be internalized and it could just be right. a, a metaphor for internal conflict. Right. Yeah, um, it's an exploration of, of her wants and her needs. Exactly. And the ability of the world to supply Yep. You know, to, to kind of cater to those wants and needs. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great example. When the wants or needs of a particular character mesh with the wants or needs of another character, though, that's... When you say mesh, you you don't mean like... Because like, mesh... Mesh means they mean come together. Mash. 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 Mesh is coming together. <laughs> Mashing is like grinding Today against on each Slayhouse other. Presents, Trevor teach Jeremy English. <laughs> 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 he teaches Jeremy English. <laughs> Mesh. <laughs> mesh. I mean, mesh. maybe there's a definition of mesh. mesh, which is which is like like more conflictory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they don't. Yeah, they 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 mash together. They don't come. Right, they don't, right. They don't mesh yeah. when they when they rub up against each other, and not in a good way. Right. In a bad. <laughs> in a naughty way. Keep, keep your want over there. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's becoming a need. My need's over here. You keep your want over there. And we'll just This is external <laughs> conflict. This is external conflict. <laughs> oh, bad joke. To show me on the doll where the conflict touched you. <laughs> <It's like that. laughs> where you felt the conflict. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, folks. Uh, we, we might have to start this episode over. <laughs> That's external conflict. When... Oh, 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 man. So, like, if I want to finish this episode and Trevor wants to leave and go eat <laughs> right. and not finish the episode, then that would be external con- conflict. That's external conflict, right. Great. Um, you need I, I to think like, about these things, though, yeah, as a writer. You I need to think like, about your these people as real. Yes, yes, exactly. Or whatever, the character is I, real. I think that, you know, what, what makes for a real, well-developed, you know, a three-dimensional character is a character who has multifaceted or complex wants and desires mm-hmm. um, but may not be able to resolve those, whether it be because of external circumstances or internal conflict, you know? That's what drives the story, though. That's what exactly. what basically plot is, is you have conflict, either internal or external. You have the character trying to find a resolution to that conflict. Right. That resolution usually breeds more conflict. Right. And it... Over and over and over again until we're at the end of the story. Right. Um, right. Yeah. That, the the resolution of the conflict, right, is is the the kind of end of the story because when you right. have no more conflict, right, there's no more story. Right. right. The, the story is is ultimately driven by. I don't know. One of the and its resolution. I would almost argue one of the interesting things about the horror genre specifically, and maybe genre mm-hmm. in and of mm-hmm. itself, is that the conflict isn't resolved completely. That's very true. We it's, see a lot of that. It's resolved for the moment. For a mo- yeah. We get a moment's reprieve from this yeah. this uh, conflict and then uh, but it's still lurking out there. Yep. Right? Whether it be again externally, the murderer's still alive. Yeah. He's not dead, you know, or something internal, you know, it being the 
the kind of metaphoric scars that uh, that now we carry, right? The, mm-hmm. the external conflicts become internal conflict. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, I also told Trevor this. I think one of the best classes a creative writing person can take is a class, any, any of the classes, I think, but even just like an intro to psychology. Um, understanding how the human mind works and the wants and needs of of mm. us, our minds of, of yeah. the human condition will help the writer say, okay, this is what I need to, how I need to construct my, my characters and what I need them to do and what I want them to do and what makes yeah. sense for them to do. Yeah. But you've got to realize your characters. Before I ever wrote um, A Mindful of Scorpions, I thought about those characters for like two years. I did mm. lots of research on um, schizophrenia <laughs> because schizophrenia used to be just a catch-all term for people who were, you know, could have anything wrong with them. Right. And now it's becoming more of a clearer diagnosis. But uh, in writing this, I didn't want to write a story that would um, not do justice or or, or it would it, – I, I didn't want to um, you, insult like, people. Like misportray them. Right, right. right. Misportray <laughs> anybody with, with – this mental condition. It's not something to be laughed off. Right. One of the reasons I wrote that was because I was tired of seeing in mass media, like the serial killer is always schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. And I had met a few or people. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I had met people who were schizophrenic and I'm like, but that's not the case. A lot of times they're, they're the nicest people. They just mm-hmm. want to live in their own world and they can't. I mean, right. it's, you know, and so the understanding well, of the, and- of the <laughs> issue it was not something that I, I did haphazardly. I, I didn't want to just right. sit down and right. start typing up this story. Um, I spent about two years with those characters before I ever wrote yeah. one sentence. And I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that you have to take two years. No, you know, no, no, to, no. To, uh, but do your character. research. Yes. Do and, your research on not, your characters. Not just do your research, but but like like really like learn, get to know your characters. Yeah. You know? really spend some time with them. One of the the series that um, I continue to come back to is Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm constant, <laughs> constantly read Star Wars. We were just talking today about my Star Wars. For those of you who haven't listened to a Star Wars update series. <laughs> I've got two. We've got two of them out. I'm working through 1996 right now. Uh, really, so Trevor? I have no idea you like Star Wars. Two, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, you know, I think a lot about the characters that that I encounter in in Star Wars, and and the the way that these you know figures are characterized. And my most frequent uh, source of dissatisfaction is that it feels as though these characters are exceedingly two dimensional. Yeah. Some of that is because the conflict of these books is just too easily resolved. Yeah. You know, it doesn't really seem as though there's much challenge to that conflict. But I think, too, one of the problems is that they just don't really feel like characters. They don't have those multidimensional conflicts. You know, almost everything in a Star Wars novel is external conflict. Yeah. There's very little internal conflict. And even when there is, it's very superficial. Yeah. And I think this is one of the reasons why those characters feel so flat. I uh, I don't I don't like calling out too many authors that uh, you know kind of circle around um, the horror sphere. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I recently read a, a book, and this is going to be a hot take. But um, I read <laughs> a, a book this year called "Nothing But Blackened Teeth" uh, by Cassandra Kaw. And um, I didn't really care for their characters because, again, it felt like many of their characters were doing the same thing. They were characterized the same way. Their conflicts were all very similar, almost too similar. And as a result, you know, there are these characters that I think are very unlikable and not not distinct enough from one another that they stood out as being super memorable. In contrast, I think there is a lot of character work done in something like Brian McCauley's novel, The Curse of the Reaper, Mm -hmm. um, where his two main uh, characters, you know, have, you know, kind of similar wants and needs and yet come into conflict with one another because they both can't have the same thing. 
yeah. right? They, they they both both can't have what it is that they want or what it is that they need, and as a result, they clash. And I think that's really interesting because we get the external conflict, but we also see so much of the internal conflict of these characters. Right. It's important when creating your characters that you build and you address these wants and needs. You can build that into their backstory and into their their life story, but you don't necessarily have to. And you don't you don't want to you know. I know we were we've talked you know personally, not so much on the the podcast, but we've talked. Um, personally about the both the the wonderfulness and the the reasons why like mm-hmm. say Stephen King is is regarded mm-hmm. the way he is yeah but also some of the problems that we've encountered right. with some of his works yeah. and what I've found is you know I go back to the the book it that I just finished mm-hmm. every character in there has an amazing he's really thought about who these characters are mm-hmm. and they have mm-hmm. and and their their motivations and their motives mm-hmm. make a lot of sense yeah but when it comes to addressing the wants and needs, those tend to be lacking, um, mm. especially when he's writing characters of other, if I can mm, say it like yeah, that. Yeah, of the other. Yeah. So not just people of color, but also like women. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, it's they're you know they're they're they don't feel as like their wants and needs are as complex. You know, yeah. and and so, b- but the the backstory is there. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Hanlon, who is a person of color in this story, he's a, one of the main characters. His backstory is completely fleshed out. He's, he right. feels like a real character, and he doesn't feel like he's stereotypical or with regard to his backstory. He doesn't mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. he doesn't feel like he's working with stereotypes. He feels like mm-hmm. he's a he's an honest character that he really wants to mm-hmm. to succeed in this story. He he's not created this character to make fun of him. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the wants and needs of Mike as a character, it's like he's not as developed as Mm -hmm. like the some of the white male characters in there yeah and um you know it's it can be tough to do i mean it's it's so easy to to you know i've caught myself doing this like i'd have a a female character and it's like well what does she want well you know (laughs) is it a a husband is it is it kids i mean but no they have to have a real and you know yeah. everyone every one of your yeah. characters and you have to do research and respect them like right. paint them with respect i yeah i i think too this kind of brings an, a a totally different soapbox but you know as you craft characters i really think be careful about what characters you you incorporate and how you incorporate them yeah um it's super important to avoid uh tokenism Yes. Right, which is just the inclusion uh, of uh, or representation of a certain group, just right. to check a box. Right, we've talked a lot. I've talked a lot about tokenism on the show, yeah, and just how much I think it it really bothers me as a reader um, when I find this character who only exists as uh, a source of external conflict right. for the main uh, protagonist. I've been thinking about this a lot. Again, thinking about Star Wars, um, but the, but there's uh, one particular uh, female character in Star Wars, uh, Mara Jade, who starts as a, a, a kind of antagonist sort of character to Luke Skywalker, and then they get married, and then for cheap drama, <laughs> some some writer kills her off, like just murders her, and and, and like. That's a that's a trope I see a lot in fiction is like the female character, the woman character in these stories only exists to to uh, die, you know, as a source of of the male's trauma and the, the male's conflict. Yeah. To drive his story forward. It's infuriating. It is. It so is. when we when we talk about character, you know, when we talk <laughs> about this stuff, when we talk about. What is it that you are including to drive this story forward? What is the conflict you're creating? I I really encourage, you know, think about this not in terms of trope. Yeah. But think about this really as if these characters um, are people making real decisions and, and let those decisions have significant weight. Yeah. We talk frequently about character-driven narrative mm-hmm. versus plot-driven narrative. And um, character-driven narrative ultimately means that the way the story unfolds relies on the characters' decisions. Yes, The characters must have agency 
over what happens in the plot. Otherwise, it's not a very satisfying story. Right. Um, you know, and to say that that we're saying don't do tokenism, don't just check that box by having a character. We're not saying only write, you know, if you're white, only write white characters. Or if you're black, oh, only write black right, characters. of course. We're just saying do the research and put real thought into it so mm-hmm. that you are showing these characters the respect they deserve. Yeah. You know? give, give them the space and yeah. the place and the agency, you know, necessary for real representation because there's a difference between, uh, again, that tokenism where they're only there to, to uh, you know, check a box uh, and, and then characters with real agency who can impact the world your character lives in. Yep. Yeah. Or your or your your main character, I should say. Exactly. <clears throat> and I'm glad you brought that up about plot driven versus character driven, because I think now going in depth about character and understanding what mm-hmm. um, character means, right, um, really helps clarify what that is. I mean, you know, in plot driven stories, is kind of a as as an alternative to what you were just talking about. Usually, there is no character development. the The character is flat yeah. and has no real, yep, no real arc. They Super have no real one dimensional characters. Yeah. So um, it's it's just really important that you understand that when you describe and write these characters, that these characters need to be something more than just how do I get my action moving? I you know, in fact, I would almost say the last thing you need to be worried about is the direction of the story. Like you present the initial issue, the initial conflict, which is starting the story off. You create the characters, and once you develop them well enough. They take the reins and kind of drive the direction of the story. And it's no longer you having to, like, plot this out and be like, I want to know where this goes. Now, that doesn't mean you can't still plot it out. I mean, there's all this talk about plant, planter versus planter versus pantser. <laughs> right, right. And How do you create? I'm, a total, I'm, a, I'm totally a, a plantster, by the way. I'm, I'm a plantster, too. I, yeah. That's a combination of planter and pantser. Yeah, some and, stuff that you, you know, you know, you know your characters, you know the basic structure of your story. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but stuff still, surprises you. You know, it you does. just go in a weird direction and, and you discover something maybe you hadn't discovered before just by... Again, by feeling out what it is that your characters are trying to do. When you spend enough time with these characters, you can go ahead and draft like a if you want to do like a plot of the of the story chapter sure. by chapter, yeah. you can do that because the characters are still making the decision. You don't right. you know it doesn't have to be in full right, right, form right. to do this. Um so so just give them the respect that they deserve. Give them mm-hmm. even even your villains. <clears throat> People aren't you know, nobody there's that old adage, you know, everyone's the hero of their own story. Yeah. You know, villains don't see themselves as villainous. Right. Um, and, and I think, too, you know, again, like your villain should have the same want, need structure, yeah. you know, as any other character. They should be able to encounter their own conflict. Maybe that conflict looks different than the conflict yeah. of your hero or your 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 protagonist, you know, your main character. But but if you're having a you know if you've got a villain if you've got an antagonist yeah they should be uh, complex characters too they don't have to be right yeah but but definitely they should have wants and needs. And let's talk like about those character. those two terms for a second because I want to be clear on that as well too. Protagonist and antagonist don't necessarily mean hero and villain. Correct. The antagonist is just s- simply somebody who stands in the protagonist's way. Right. So if we look at that story, Crossroads, again, yes. um, with Laurel Hightower, the antagonist would be like her ex-husband, her neighbor, right. you know, the people trying to stop her from, from, from doing, lo- doing what she's she doing. Needs to do or feels right. she and we're trying not to, to give anything away from this. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they're not bad people. They're, no, <laughs> they're actually right, correct. You know, good people, like yeah. trying to, they care but about they her. But they serve as obstacles to what she wants or thinks she needs. Exactly. Yeah. So they act as antagonists. So don't think, you know, another uh, great story that I read from like my childhood. Have you ever read John Knowles' A Separate Piece? Yes. Yes, I have. It's a, and we're going to get into this when we talk about narration in a second, but um, it's a first person told story, uh-huh. but I don't know how much you remember about it, but I was thinking about I it lately. the end of the story because the main character hangs out with his buddy. Yeah. And then his buddy 
like die or the buddy or, yeah, dies. The buddy dies. But what you realize at the end of the story is that the main character that we're seeing the story through uh-huh. is he really pushed, he pushed him off the. He's tree. kind of the antagonist of yes. this. His buddy's more the protagonist. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. And it's an interesting kind of flip. He dies of on like that. a to, of like a broken heart or something from the betrayal he feels from the main. I thought character. he broke like a leg or an arm or something. Well, he does, but then they they say it's like something of his heart. Oh, yeah, that's you know, right. It's yeah. the betrayal that kills him. It's not, you know, okay, so yeah, technically. The Twas like, beast that beauty killed. Or, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just butchered King I, Kong. I know, I know where you, but yeah. <laughs> um, tis beauty that killed the yeah, beast. Yeah, tis, tis beauty that killed the beast, yeah. yeah something like Thank that. you, Jack Black, for that. I yeah. like that version I'm of King Kong. I'm pretty sure that's, that was also in the original. It but. probably was in the original, Yeah, but... You know, I I still you know, st- I like that okay, version. I like right. the, the the Peter Jackson version of it. It's too long for me. It was pretty long. Much like this podcast. Much like this podcast. <laughs> We're not even halfway <laughs> through, folks. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. So um, I feel so like let's we have a good handle on character. We do. We do. Now that isn't to say that you know we don't. Again, we don't have to Charles Dickens this thing. We don't have to like every character has to have a backstory. <laughs> Like you're reading like a Charles Dickens book, and he goes like 20 pages into this well, let's lady's talk backstory. About the milkman over here, yeah. For for her to have like one line in the entire thing, and then he moves on from that, and it's like, okay, what was the? Yeah, I know her whole, whole biography. And, I think I think one of my favorite uh, Charles Dickens stories isn't even a Charles Dickens story, but but it's like that. Um, Patrick Stewart had to do some some like line recording uh, for this character in Oblivion, like one of the the uh, it's a video game, one of one of the, yeah. the uh, Elder Scrolls games. So he 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 got like a hundred page treatment or something like that, <laughs> like explaining this character's motivations and like his whole family lineage, like you know, like this deep dive into who this character was. For like ten lines of dialogue, <laughs> hilarious. That's funny. Yeah. Um, you know, every character doesn't need that kind of treatment, but the characters who right. play a pivotal role in the story they do really yeah. do. If they if they're if they're in your main character's but orbit, Jeremy, I would say the lady, the old widow with ten orf, with ten children, asked that question <laughs> in the Charles Dickens book. She asked a question that turned the whole story at end. It's like uh, no, that doesn't count. Like <laughs> she has, they have to play a pivotal role. Like uh, yeah, not just, yeah, yeah. I don't care if like her asking the question led them to one restaurant instead of another where they see an attack and you know, who gives a shit? No, make sure they, you know, in, in which case, if you don't, if the character isn't that important, you know, you can use stock characters, but and even with stock characters or flat characters, it's important to not disrespect Oh, them. yeah, sure. Don't. don't throw a lot of stereotypes yeah. or tropes mm, in there. Yeah, don't true. have a token character, you know, just to yeah, say, yeah, look yeah. at me. I've got a, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Make make them be respectful with your characters. That's yeah. my main point. That's yeah. my main point. I get it. That's my main point. All right. Um, the reason I pair character with narration is because we do come across mm. the, the mm-hmm. narrator as character, and we come across mm-hmm. that in a few different ways. Mm-hmm. We come across... Mm-hmm. Um, what's called, uh, well, obviously with first person narration, you know, the yeah. character is, is in the universe, the eye, the eye. Yeah. Um, and James Wood argued, and I've, I believe this, but I've seen other examples of this where it's not true, but it's just done poorly. And James Wood argued in his book, how fiction works, um, that there's no such thing as omniscient third person. He said, every scene of of a book follows a particular character's. I mean, think of it point like a view. lens, if you will. I, you know, I've I've often heard it described as like you, you know the 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 lens. Where's the camera? Who? Yeah, and and rather like not just where is the camera, but who is the camera? Right. But I think his point in solid fiction is like even if you have. You know, it's a he said, she said, you know, third person kind of story. And this is why I'm getting into this first to describe why this isn't necessarily the most accurate way to talk about narration. Um, but even even if we do, like at any one point in time, we're not getting a true omniscient viewpoint. Like in one mm-hmm. chapter, mm-hmm. it might, you know, the, the perspective might change from, from person or character to mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. But even in that little segment, chapter, passage, whatever, it's still in that one character's lens. And we don't get – we're limited by what that character experiences usually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
we're not exposed to every other character in that scene's thoughts or desires or a lot of time we're getting things one-sided or presented one-sided. We've seen yeah. we've seen I've seen there I've seen prose that tries to get outside of this and it really throws you for a loop. Like it was really something that um that pulls you out of the story. So I think first person, second person, third person, I think those aren't super accurate ways. So now we get into the fun. The so I, I kind of <laughs> want to step back for, for just a second. You know, sure. we talk about first person, second person, third person narration, mm-hmm. right? Third person is, is kind of the closest to being outside the immediate story, yeah. right? Like an observer of the story. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and I'm not saying like a literal, like this is a person observing the story. I th- I feel like it's just like, like sometimes the reader is the, you know, yeah. is, is, is the one observing the story, right? Like, sure. Or, or, you know, the narration I think is just, it, it just, you know, it's, it's focused on like the events of the story, not right. necessarily telling it from the perspective of a person. Right. Although I think that there are a lot of, third-person narrations that take the place of a particular focalized lens. And what, and what I mean by that is like a character in the story, then, you know, we, we kind of weave into this person's perspective for a period of time and then, you know, can kind of weave out into another person's perspective. I think this is what, why we talk about third-person omniscient narrators yeah. because – we're able to weave in and out of of the various aspects of you know Sometimes. characters' minds, characters' lenses, yeah, you know that sort of thing. I, and and I I feel like that's where the term comes up. I think so, but I think what we see in good fiction is that one they are more pronounced in how that weaving takes oh, yes. place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, and in good fiction, we also have an adherence to to when and why that change might occur. But even when it occurs, it's still, and I, I and I understand, like, again, this is why I'm saying this is not the best kind of vocabulary to describe right. narration. Mm-hmm. Um, because even then, it's still not omniscient. I mean... I, I, I'm going to get real semantic just for yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. minute. <clears throat> I think that the reason why everyone's like, this isn't real omniscience is because there's like um, actual omniscience as presented in any media. It can't happen. It would be disoriented. It would be, it would be way too disoriented. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But, but I, I feel like when we talk about a third person omniscient narrator, it just means that that narrator has access to information that the characters themselves may not have. Access yeah. to information and representation of that access to information that's fed to the reader that, uh, you know, either the characters themselves may not be aware of or or that we know that the characters will someday find out, you know, that sort of thing. I feel like there are ways that the narrator clues us into either the stakes or clues us into uh, the secrets, clues us into the conflict you know, that's driving this story forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like, and I, I think the struggle that has happened, and I think the, the reason people are having so many of these conversations is because first person, second person, third person, even tagging on things like omniscient or third mm-hmm. person limited, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they still aren't precise enough to give us mm-hmm. real inter- understanding of what's going on. And they, uh-huh. they, they tend to be umbrella terms that overlap ideas, like what we're uh-huh. talking about with like oh, third sure. person. Yeah. Um, plenty of third person, you know, kind of stories using mm-hmm. the old vernacular mm-hmm. um, are are uh, still limited, and we only oh, see yeah. like like uh, like when we read um, uh, Maltese Falcon, that was third yeah, person, absolutely. And we are limited though because we follow Sam Spade through the story, right. so right. we are only limited to what Sam Spade right. and not so even what fully he, what he what he experiences, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, and, um, and and to your point, we never really get to. We don't get inside Sam Spade's head very often. Right. We're given his actions. We're yep. given his reactions. Uh, we're given his dialogue. But we are not privy to the the exact things that are rolling through Sam Spade's mind. So let me, 
introduce to our reader to our yeah. listeners uh, a little bit more precise vocabulary. And again, just like the previous episodes and the future episodes, like all pertinent vocabulary will be listed mm-hmm. with their mm-hmm. definitions on the the, the show description. Um, first, in talking about the narrator, instead of just saying first person, second person, third person, why don't we say homodiegetic or heterodiegetic okay, narrator? All right. Homodiegetic is a narrator that exists within the universe uh-huh. and has direct action within the universe. Uh-huh. So homodiegetic meaning homo being same. Yep. And <clears throat> diegetic meaning uh, the narration. Right. Right. Because right. we talked about diegesis. Yep. Last time, right? And we talked about diegesis being the, uh, help me out. It's like the element of the story itself. It's, right. It's, right. Yeah. Or originating from within the story. Right. 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 So we're as saying the narrator that, outside the story. Right. The narrator that exists right. within the universe of the story right. is a homodiegetic narrator. Right. A narrator exists that exists within the universe of the story, like it, it, within yes. the, the story itself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, a narrator that has no obvious connection to the universe itself. Uh-huh. That it's that's within the story would be then a heterodiegetic right. narrator, which would be different. Again, diegesis being like 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 you know hetero being different. Yep. In this case, meaning kind of outside of the diegetic narrative. So before we we build on those, I want to talk about really quickly the evidence or the types of narration that can reveal the presence of the narrator. Sure. And again, this is a little different than um, than what we looked at the other day with. Uh, diegesis to, to mimetic mm-hmm. kind of storytelling. Yeah. This is just strictly about the narrator and how evident the narrator is. Um, we're going to start with description of settings. If you get a blanket description of a setting, mm-hmm. there's not real a clearly a, a, a presence of a narrator. It's sure. just somebody kind of telling. It could just, yeah. Could be anything. It could just be the camera's <clears throat> eye. Yep. Same with identification of characters. When you get physical descriptions, behaviors, right. that sort of thing. Just Again, camera it's eye camera kind of eye. Thing. Yep. Uh, temporal summaries. Now, this is th- all this is moving towards mm. the presence of a narrator. Okay, yeah. So, whereas settings and character descriptions uh-huh. are less inclusive of a narrator, uh-huh. now uh-huh. we're seeing the narrator a little bit more when we hear right. like temporal uh, summaries, and that's that whole, you know, she spent the summer down by the right. pond yeah. picking flowers deal. Yeah. Um, definitions of characters, what they think, what they feel, their background. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is very inclusive of a narrator. Uh-huh. Um, reports of what the character did not think or did not say, like mm-hmm. he thought about mentioning this and right. then decided but, against but it. Then did not. That's right. a very clear presence of a narrator and commentary, um, interpretation, judgment, generalization. Right. You know, uh, he knew this would be a wrong to do this, but he still did it anyway. You know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm sorry for those of you out there. I keep going to like he for examples. I don't mean to. It's it just is whatever. Yeah. Um, so. All that to say, the narrator needs to exist as much as you want the narrator to exist. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're looking at mimetic, then perhaps we don't want the story told to us. If we're looking toward that end of the spectrum of mimesis, you would want to make the narrator as invisible as possible. Uh Um, But again, if that's something, you know, that's that's not to say that that's the best way to write literature. It's just, you know. Well, I think it, it... you know, it, it it'll come down to what what what's the effect? What are yeah. the effects you're going for? There's a really interesting uh, piece of literature out there that mixes uh, different different narrative styles. Uh, I believe the book is called "The Fifth Season" by N.K. Jemison. There's a lot of books that mix. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Narrative no, styles. you're you're absolutely <laughs> right. Uh, but this one's really peculiar because um, N.K. Jemison, I think. Uh, most of the story, as it is set in kind of the past, is delivered in third person. Mm-hmm. And then it it kind of transitions into, like, the actions of the present, and that is delivered in second person. Interesting. Which is weird. Yeah, and the second it, person isn't used very much. It's not, you know, I've only run into a handful of stories where, where uh, the second person is invoked. And I think it's important to note that the second person when we talk about you, right, mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean you, the reader, right? The you can be 
someone else. The you could even be a character in the story that the narrator is. I always kind of mispronounce this to. word, but it's like epistolary, epist- epistolary. Epistolary. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah, could be a, like a type of a, a second person if they're right, writing yeah. a letter. If it's right, all like they're writing letters to each other. Yeah. Uh, but but it's really interesting. I think the invocation of you because it does open up new kind of interpretive meanings to what we do with the story. Right. Right. Um, Stephen Graham Jones <laughs> does this with the uh, deer spirit or the, or the elk spirit in uh, The Only Good Indian. Yeah, that's right. Um, there's a, a fascinating story by uh, Carlos Fuentes, I think. I think I'm pretty sure it's Carlos Fuentes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he writes a, a story called Aura, which is um, about a, a friend. He's like a French the main character is a French teacher in Mexico um, who goes to translate the works of of uh, a, a dead general or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the entire the entire short story is delivered in the second person, mm. and uh, the main character is is the you right? Yep. Like, and and I I think that's interesting. Again, it opens up these new symbolic frontiers. When sure. you make decisions about what kind of narrative it is that you're writing, right? Yeah. So I are you I, writing a choose your adventure story? That's got to that be is, second person. That's a second person. That's the second person. <laughs> Ooh, that's something from yeah. way in the past. Oh man, talk <laughs> about talk about your your throwbacks. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So so there's there's a lot of things we can do about that. So again, first person, second person, third person, that's just kind of boring to me. So yeah. you know, homodiegetic narrator, heterodiegetic yeah. narrator. Um homodiegetic narrator doesn't necessarily mean it's a it's not the same thing as saying first person either. It just Right. It's, it's just a person that exists in the universe. Yeah. Which we see uh sometimes as as kind of interesting framing devices. Yeah. You know, for example, in uh, I love talking about Don Quixote because yeah. I think it's it's one of literature's uh liter- literature's best books. Um but that opens with a framing device of Cervantes explaining to you where he found this transcript yeah. of the adventures of of Quixote. And then we we presume that the narrator he's talking about uh, is either the the the, or the person that the notes originated with, and and Quixote is is uh, you know exacting kind of a new level of editorial restraint over the story as he's translating it for you, um, which I think is again it these choices are interesting, and these choices bring new symbolic interaction with the text itself. We see that a lot with. Um, classic literature. Um, oh, yeah. Three stories that come to mind, one of which uh, we've done a deep dive on, Dracula uh-huh. by Bram Stoker. Dracula's great. It's yeah. a, a all kinds of different narrators. Different narrators um, yeah. All of them in universe, switching characters, and right. and it's, it's presented it's, it's, on it's the... It's explicitly a homodiegetic narrative, right? And it's, yes, and it's, yeah. and, and it's it's told to us from the beginning, you know, to explain that a little bit more... Um, that all of these pages were put together and like organized right, so that we right. believe. Same thing with yeah, organized same, for sense, right? For so sense. that we can make sense of it. Yes. Uh, same thing with Frankenstein. Frankenstein starts with the ship captain. It does, and uh, then it, it writing transitions a into Frankenstein himself narrating to, the entire story. Exactly. So we get the, we get the narrators in universe. Amer- uh, right. The werewolf of uh, werewolf of Paris. Yep. Uh, that is another one that uh, starts with them searching for the papers and finding this old story, and then yeah. like they're digging in the history books, and yeah. then they uncover this. Yeah, yeah. The story. Um, right. You know, there's a lot of that with the the narrator existing in universe. Right. And that's right. kind of a cool effect. I mean, it is, and it it can, it can mean a lot of interesting, again, very mm-hmm. interesting things for your story. Uh, I think I think often of uh, Great Gatsby, right? Yeah. Um, when you when we talk about stories of unreliable narrators, yeah. right? Like the, these are often, not always, but often very um, homodiagetic. Like, uh, was it know, Fight characters. Club? Was Fight Club a first person a homodiagetic? Uh, honestly, I've I can't not remember. read that one. I can't remember. I know it's it's got an I'm, unreliable narrator in yeah. it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, <laughs> hot take. <laughs> I will probably never read a book by Chuck Palahniuk. Really? Yeah, I don't know enough about him. This is this is again. This is my super hot take, and (laughs) and I, you know what, I could be entirely wrong, and I will never know. (laughs) Um, But there are certain certain authors that are 
exclusively recommended to me by like dude bros. Oh yeah. And uh, when they open their mouths and tell me you should read blah, yeah, I'm like cool. I will never read that. And he's one of the ones that gets referred he, to. Yep. Which, uh, yeah. Yep. J- Chuck Palahniuk, uh, Brett Easton Ellis is another uh, yeah. that is always recommended to me. Yeah. John Krakauer. Uh, okay. Never read that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. I didn't, I didn't think about that. Um, yeah. we're going, I want to get into some ideas of how to really think about some of these, but instead of a term that I've come to like a lot more than limited third person or just third person or, or, Mm-hmm. or whatever, um, is free and direct style. Yeah, okay. And and that is describing the third-person narration, that he said, she said narration, uh, with the narrator sticking closely to a particular character and right. following them right. with their right. thoughts and, and all of that. But a um, free and direct would also mean that they're, they're free to move from character to character, right? To move from they focus could be. to focus. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple other terms for that. One is village chorus. Okay. Um, and there are two ways I define and also unidentified free and direct style. Uh, when I think about that, I think about um, village chorus for me is more like the voice or the narrator in Faulkner's A Rose for Emily. Okay. And if you... And that that is such an interesting. I love teaching that story. Um, it is such an interesting story. Uh, but the um, the the narrator is telling the story much like the elderly people do in a small town. Mm-hmm. You know, we experienced this. We you know the day Miss Emily died, we all went to to visit her home and you get inside when nobody had been inside for forty years. You know, so yeah. everything is we, and it's this like a like this chorus telling us kind of what is going on, right? This right. whole discussion of, of like, it's it's almost like the old-timey way like people used to tell stories like, you know. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. When the great fire spread through town, we were all hanging out at, you know, so-and-so's general store. And it's a, it's it's definitely a, a specific voice to it. But a, a village chorus, I think, could also indicate um, that narrator jumping. I think we also see a form of it a little bit different definition or maybe this is more like the unidentified free and direct style um with the lottery shirley jackson that we talked about oh, early sure, on yeah where okay. it kind of pulls back and shows us yeah. the whole group and then jumps in and like yeah. shows us like a close right 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 we can, this person yeah, or we this person the, and then like pulls the, back the again follow. yeah um but what i really like to talk about and you've brought the term up so i'm going to mm-hmm. keep it going mm-hmm. um instead of again first second third person let's talk about focalization yeah what is the focal point of this um, right. narrator? Who's who are we following? Uh-huh. Right, really, like like whose lens are we perceiving the the rest of the narrative through? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, find, uh huh. A fixed focalization means that it's uh-huh. fixed on one person. One so you person. Could, you could have a exactly. homodiagetic fixed focalized sure. narrator. Yeah. And that is a lot of times probably your eye stories, your yep. first person stories. Right. You could have a heterodiegetic first uh fixed focalized person uh-huh. and that would be like in free and direct style that third person right usually right. but it's only following but, one but it's but the we, sam yeah. spade this, um, yes exactly yep sam spade you can also have a variable focalizer and a variable focalizer foc- uh, has different scenes of the narrative experienced through different lenses right yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. we can now instead of just saying third person omniscient we have heterodiegetic uh, uh-huh. variable focalizer, uh-huh. that's a more uh-huh. precise way of describing what's going on. Right. And we don't fall into that trap of, is there a third person omniscient or is there not? It's, right, right, it's right, a little right. clearer language. You yeah. Know? Uh, a, a, fi- a variable focalized uh, homodiegetic story might be like the Dracula story because every narrator right. is saying it's like right. their own diary, it's their own... Very, right, very drawn from their own experience. But we're still switching, switching right. scenes. exactly. We don't see this last one as much, mm-hmm. but then we also have a multiple focalizer or multiple uh-huh. focalization, which is presenting the same scene through different character lenses. And I feel like I've read some books that do that. Mm-hmm. I can't recall their titles off um, the top of my head. Honestly, the closest thing that it comes to it for me, like the Gospels. Um, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is almost actually, like that, that's actually perfect. Yeah, yeah. Four people standing on the corner trying to describe almost the exact same thing. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. You know what? I have, I have read one. Yeah. Fucking Star Wars. 
<laughs> I, it, I like for real. The tales of the most Eisley Cantina. Everyone note. I'm bringing up Faulkner and he's going real Shirley classic. Jackson. I'm going low brow. <laughs> I'm going as low a brow as you can get. We're yeah. we're going co cro, cro Magnon brow <laughs> over here. Yeah, tales of the Cantina. You talked about that in the last Star Wars. Yeah, update. that's right. Where every single character remembers what happens to fucking Greedo. <laughs> Right? It's, like and, Groundhog, and like, it's like Groundhog Day for it is, Guido. It's, 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 it's the same thing over and over. And they all, they're like, oh, we're just doing our thing. And then, oh, fuck, Greedo's dead. Well, all right, he was a dude. I would have loved, like, it, like it, towards the <laughs> end of that book, if in one of the stories, Greedo would have been like, oh, shit, not again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there is a, you know what? There is a Greedo story in there. You, you, you get Greedo's backstory before he's murdered. It's hilarious. Like that breaking that fourth wall moment of him like, Oh, yeah, shit, yeah, somebody yeah. else telling ah, the story of my death. I'm going to die again. Um, so, so yeah, so that would be a, a multiple <laughs> focalized story. We could go with the Gospels. We could go fucking... <laughs> we could go As I Lay Dying. As I Lay Dying, We could go yeah. Tales of the Most Eisley yeah, yeah, yeah. over here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, again, all that is to say that sounds very complex, but if you right. think about the terms, and, again, I'll write them down for our, our show's description, um... They're really not. They're really more precise than just first person, second person, third person. It's like. Yeah. So the reason why I think this this chat is important Mm -hmm. isn't just to improve our vocabulary. Right. I think, again, it comes down to what are the choices that you as a writer are making? Yes. And are those choices consistent with your vision for the project? Right. Because a lot of your readers are going to come in, they're going to interact with your story, and they're going to look for consistency. Yep. And one of the things that you want to make sure of is that your approach to narration is consistent throughout the story. I really, truly, whenever I teach something either in a college class or doing this series, I really come at this with this idea of like a Bloom's taxonomy kind of approach. So mm-hmm. I'm not telling you or telling the audience these things just so that they memorize them. Right. I'm telling them so that they can turn around and apply them, which is what you're talking right, about. Right. And as soon as you can turn around and apply this and create something with this, right. that is the ultimate pinnacle of Bloom's taxonomy. Right, right, right. Um, so, so, yeah, and there is one other term that I want to, and that's the oriented. Um, okay. The origio, I guess I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know. Origio? Or, or, origio. I have origio. no idea. Um, but it's where the scene is centered around. So okay. sometimes that's the same as like the narrator or it's the same uh-huh. as – um, say the fixed focalized uh, homodiegetic narrator, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but in the case of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. Okay, all right, Sherlock Holmes, which I love. I think this is a perfect example of this. Comes from Watson. Uh, Watson right? is the homodiegetic fixed focalized narrator, yeah, right? But the scenes are oriented around around Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes, right? Um, so, so even though he's there. You know, telling you the story. It's really about the other characters and exploits. Exactly. Great Gatsby's the same way, right? Nick uh, Carraway? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick Carraway is it like, it like sure, maybe he's a, a character in the, the story. And Nick's not a great dude. No. Right? But, uh, but the story is all about Gatsby. It's really yeah. about Gatsby's exploits mm-hmm. and not necessarily about Nick Carraway. Exactly. Which exactly. is, again, interesting because it, 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 it creates new symbolic interactions for us, the readers, to pull apart, to pick apart, to try yeah. to understand a little bit more. And for you writers, for you reviewers out there, if you can use these terms and be like, this is why this book is, you know, works or it doesn't right. work, it's, you know, right. this will give you kind of that vocabulary to back up what you're saying. For the writers yeah. out there, again, put this stuff into practice. If you can create a scenario where you have one character telling the story, but the story is really about this other character character mm-hmm. and you do that because mm-hmm. you understand this idea of the origo or origio whatever it's called yeah then um and you understand these the oregano di- let's oregano. call it the oregano yep the oregano um yeah. not the basil though it's no <laughs> hey holmes was played by basil, <laughs> basil Rathbone. Rathbone. <laughs> hey, we, we, we walked into that. into that we did stumble into that pun dario Argento presents <laughs> what would that be like? Presents Basil Rathbone as the what oregano. What would that movie be like? Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Dario Argento, Basil Rathbone, Sherlock Holmes movie. That would be I'd watch it. bonkers, man. <laughs> I would watch bonkers. the hell out of that. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that is... 
all of our little puns and our stupid asides and yeah. tangential. Jeremy learns a word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the first one you got right. <laughs> yeah, I screw up all the words. Um, <laughs> I'm, hey, folks, I'm a reader, not a speech giver. <laughs> like, this is the funny thing because, like, <laughs> when we think about it, we've had this talk before. Yeah. It's like we encounter a ton of words because, of course, we're reading all the time. But it's not like we ever just drop them into a regular conversation. And because we've never had someone else drop them into a conversation with us, how would we know? How do you know you get it wrong? <laughs> it's our chameleon. Our chameleon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, encyclopedia. Sorry. Encyclopedia. Now, now, we're, now we're just quoting How I Met Your Mother, so sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, take these ideas and learn how to, to apply them, you know, yeah. play with Practice how, with them. And make, as... make the antagonist the main character and mm-hmm. make your, make him mm-hmm. go against the protagonist. Um, and, and again, I mean, this is going to be my, my motif, you know, I'm going to come back to this time and time again, but like, like read, read, read. and as you read, inspect what's going on, mm-hmm. you're going to run into all of this, right? Yep. A lot of this. And you're going to run into some of it executed very well. Mm-hmm. And you're going to run into it, some of it executed very poorly. And I think that it's important for you to read both. I yes. think it's important for you to see how it's done well so that you can seek to emulate that, but also see what went wrong, right? Where does it fall apart? Where does it not work for you? So start. And why does it not work for you? Start with Albert Camus, The Stranger. And then read Tales of the Cantina. <laughs> Tales of Mosaicly Cantina. <laughs> go, from, go from Camus to fucking Tales of the Mosaicly Cantina. I make that joke because I think that's what Trevor and I were reading at the exact same time. It, it, it was. It was. You and you were like you were like pinkies up, I'm reading Camus. And I was like, well, I'll fucking read Camus too. I can do that, you know. That was going to be our joke on, on that like was a, gonna be a, our, joke. our Star Wars. Re- is like I was going to come in and saying never, I've read all these books, and yeah, you're it like, never, never came about. <laughs> and you're like, I read Star Wars. Yeah, I read Star Wars. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that's it, folks. That's it for this episode. This has probably been way too long, and I could probably cut a lot of I this. Think, but if, that's if, uh, if all my, of these are, are going to go that way. If my editing skills were better, I would cut <laughs> a lot of this out. But since they're not, you got to just put up a bad jokes. <laughs> But I hope you learned something. And more than that, I hope you're able to apply this information as you grow as a writer. I really want that for all of you. There are, my God, think about this. If everyone who ever wanted to be a writer and just be successful at it, there Mm -hmm. are enough people in this world that we all could have an audience and be, like, successful. Sure. Like, I really believe that. Yeah. It's just not enough people are, you know, literate or care to be literate. But also, like, too many people spend all of their working lives, like, just just slaving away for a giant corporation to make a whole bunch of money off of them. Yeah, yeah. Or they just sit down in front of the boob tube. Well, I mean, mean, sometimes that's all you can do. You know, I've sat in front of the boob tube, too. I mean, I I don't mind the television. I I like it. You sounded so much like you came from Chicago. Just, just in that moment there. <laughs> Sometimes I sit in front of the boob tube too. They catch a Miller Light, <laughs> the bears <laughs> with the bears. I watch the and boob tube with I the bears. The, I watch the, bo- the bears on the boob tube with a Miller Light. <laughs> well, now you sound like you're from Wisconsin. <laughs> you know those two. They're very, they're, they're very close. <laughs> Love you, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> we just lost all of Wisconsin. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, it's my my wife like impacting me, like like. I, I'm like <laughs> You're right, you know. She, but she also she sounds like she's very much from Chicago. Yeah, from. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she claims her 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 uh, her her accent is like faded over time. Yeah, it's funny. It's <laughs> I've also noticed I've I've picked up a little bit of the southern uh-huh. drawl. You know, the longer that I'm here, uh, because it, it it wasn't always necessarily that way. But uh, my friends especially are like, wow, you really sound very different. But well, many of my friends are also from the Northeast, you yeah, know, so yeah. they have very pronounced accents <laughs> of their own. My wife has an accent. She she never, t- you know, uh, well, you probably heard it on the yeah, show, yeah. but it, it's definitely thicker around her family. Like, yeah. she, she really gets into that Arkansas drawl. I, uh, I, I remember my wife's younger brother who has spent more time in Arkansas because um, their family is originally from Chicago and they were like raised, oh. all born in Chicago and like raised up there until like they were, my wife was like a teenager when they moved down to Arkansas. Yeah. And uh, her younger brother, I remember, had, had called their elder brother who still lives in Chicago uh-huh. 
and he talked to their their childhood friend on the phone for a few minutes. And when they, they hung up, the friend looked at the brother and said, "Man, he just spoke a whole sentence in hillbilly." <laughs> Speaking of uh, whole sentences in in hillbilly, yes, uh, our next episode is going to be about dialogue. So, yes. what a perfect segue! You thought we didn't have a plan. We have a plan. I, truth is, I've scripted this whole thing, so even when it sounds like we're going oh, yeah, off script, no, it's, it's all scripted. It's always scripted. That's how brilliant I am. <laughs> it's, it's always it's it's always unscripted scripted. Hey, uh, keep in mind and let everyone know if you're wanting to get them good books and stuff for, for the holidays, for Christmas coming up or whatever. Yeah, we, got, um, we got a sale going on. There's a sale. It's holiday 2022 uh enter that in at slayhouse.com at checkout and you get 15 percent off of any of our titles including uh bad form bad form by joe Joe taylor Taylor. Uh, tales of slayhouse 2022 which is out now tales of not only an ebook yep but in paperback you can get your paperbacks now you can order through our website slayhouse.com and you can still get Tales of Slayhouse 2021. Yes, you can. It's still there, too. Because I'm not taking They're any of that They're both excellent. They're yep. very, very fun anthologies. Yep. I love them. I suggest them. Uh, uh, holiday can... 2022 coupon code. Yep. Use it. Uh, Mel Pomony's Garden by Curtis Harrell. Uh, Ground Control by Karen Huff. Yep. Uh, uh, Mindful of Scorpions by J.R. Billingsley. Um, yep. You can get all I those. I like that guy. He's all right. He's, he's a solid He gets on my nerves sometimes. I hate well, listening you know, to him. That's yeah. everybody. He's a blowhard. <laughs> <laughs> coupon um, code holiday 2022 we'll holiday see you next 22 week. bye